Hello, welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. If you're a commercial real estate broker, you really want to check it out. It's the best training in the world. It's CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Well, what should we cover right now? Obviously, we should cover what is going on in the market, what's going on with transactions, with, with leases, uh, with uh, tenant issues and landlord issues and lender issues, because it is March 25th as we record this uh, in the second week of the federal kind of recommended shutdown and distancing. Um, so we have a guest, Dan Villapando, and he is a partner with the law firm of Cox Castle and Nicholson. Uh, they have about 130 attorneys and they focus on uh, real estate. Dan's been in real estate law for 25 years. So he's been through some downturns and he's, his office is in Los Angeles and he's joining us on the phone. Dan, thanks for being with us, sir. No problem. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, Dan, I think it's kind of interesting time to kind of look at when you have April 1st coming up, we have tenants who, uh, a lot of tenants who are shut down and they can't operate, especially some of these uh, retail properties. And then in most cities around the uh, U.S., also uh, work at home requirements. Uh, so it's really going to shut down or, or really slow down a lot of businesses. Um, are you already starting to hear from landlords and tenants uh, uh, about this issue? Yeah, I think it's kind of first and foremost on, on tenants and landlords' minds right now. I think in the past week or so, I've seen many more requests from tenants, either in the form of uh, emails or letters, communicating with their landlords, bringing up the fact that, hey, we're, we're unable to operate right now or we're forced to shut down by the government and it's impacting our business and, you know, we're looking to spread the pain a little bit, I think, <laughs> with, with landlords. So yeah. I think they're, they're looking looking to, you know, at least let the landlords know at this point that things are tough and that, you know, I think come April 1st, they may be in a position not to be able to pay their rent. Yeah. And maybe uh, this is a little unlike kind of the 0809 issues, whereas as a landlord, uh, you know, good and well, the, the tenants uh, at least having problems uh, right now, if they're in, in a lot of businesses that are just completely shut down from the government, um, what's kind of the initial reactions of uh, landlords that you're talking to? I think they they're want to take a, a cautious approach right now in terms of agreeing to rent abatement or rent relief without getting a little more information. Um, I think you can categorize the tenants differently. I think, you know, a mom and pop retailer who was forced to close its business say a restaurant or, you know, someone, you know, selling merchandise and forced to close uh, may have a different position than, than a big retailer out there like a Target or someone like that who is either staying open or closing some stores, uh, not all, uh, and they have the, you know, the balance sheet to, to survive this. But the mom and pop, on the other hand, may really have an issue. They're not making money on their store and they're forced to close. Come April 1st, they may really have an issue cutting that rent check. So I think, you know, landlords are looking at it case by case. Requests are coming in typically right now from the larger tenants who have been forced to close. Um, but I'm sure they're going to be hearing from the smaller ones either, you know, I'll pick up the phone and give them a call or send them an email saying, hey, we, we've got an issue here. And we're not sure come April 1st, we're going to be able to, to make that rent payment. Yeah. And normally, you know, you would ask your tenant for some sales records and, 
you know, really some proof uh, that, that they're having issues compared to kind of in the past. But I guess with a lot of these tenants where, you know, they're kind of mom and pops and, and they're shut down, uh, I guess some of that's being relaxed. A little bit, I think. Again, I think it goes to the different type of tenant we're talking about. A mom and pop where you know they've shut down, I think the landlord has a pretty good idea that that business is is definitely impacted. Whereas uh, a larger, say, regional or national tenant that's closing a few of their stores, but yet reaching out for some sort of rent relief, you know, I think the landlord has a right to ask them a little bit more about how their business is, how their balance sheet is, how they've been doing up to this point. So I think in exchange for any concessions from those landlords, I think they're going to look for a little more information from, from some of these tenants before they, uh, you know, agree to any rent of relief or rent abatement. Right. Yeah. If you look at it from a landlord's view for a moment, you know, uh, they agreed to, to a set rent. And if the tenant was, has been doing well, very well for years, you know, that's great for the tenant. Uh, and at times where they're not doing well, okay, hopefully you have some reserves, right. But, uh, but you know, these mom and pop tenants, especially these restaurants and things, where, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling, uh, they, they have small margins or uh, anyway. Are you seeing any of your landlords, Dan, be proactive going out to some of these tenants? Yeah, I think, um, you know, they're viewing it as a partnership, I think, with, with the tenants, and they want the tenants to succeed. The last thing landlords want is, you know, tenants forced to close or closing because they, they just can't meet their obligations. So we have a number of clients who are reaching out directly to their tenant base, form of letters or, or emails, letting them know, hey, we're here for you. We understand the issue. Obviously, it's it's global uh, and it's certainly affecting the U.S. economy. And we, you know, we're we're in it with you, and and we're going to work with you. So I think they, uh, in a lot of situations, the landlords are being proactive and contacting tenants and at least letting them know that you know they're they're willing to work with them. They're not agreeing any necessarily to anything up front, but they're open to a dialogue. And I think that's, that's very helpful. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good time to, to build relationships, uh, whether you're a tenant or, or a landlord. You know, I've seen some contacts from tenants that just really irritated landlords and, and kind of shut down the discussions pretty quickly. Then I've seen some um, notifications from tenants where you just go, you know what, I like the way they put that. And, you know, yeah, <laughs> let's, let's give them some help. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good point, Michael. I think the way uh, it's approached and kind of the tenor of some of these letters, uh, you know, has an impact on the landlord. And, and I've seen like you have letters that are, um, you know, I don't want to say angry letters, but they're more in the tune of, hey, we're not going to pay rent. Sorry. You know, there's a problem with business and that's it. Yeah. As opposed to a, a letter that might say, hey, you're aware of the problems, landlord, we're aware of the problems. We're, we want to work with you and let's let's have a dialogue. So I think, yeah, the approach from landlords can make a difference. I understand, you know, some tenants, national tenants have, you know, thousands of stores. So they need to get a letter out quickly. And, and you know, it's going to be a little more aggressive, say, than, than a smaller tenant who's contacting the landlord for the first time. And, of course, uh, last night, you know, they approved, what, a $2 trillion package to help businesses, and in, including small businesses. So I guess that's something that we should look to see how, how that shakes out between now and April 1st and see what kind of tenants really get help and therefore should pay the rent so the landlord can pay their mortgage and the bank can stay solvent and uh, everybody keeps rolling along. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a good kind of indication right there of, of how this impacts everyone from the tenants and, and kind of works upward from there to the landlords, to their lenders. And it is late in the month of March, so I'm, I'm not sure even with the stimulus package being agreed to overnight, what impact it's going to have by April 1st. But I certainly think it's a, a positive step. And I think tenants who are going to be receiving, you know, some help here, you know, that's certainly going to help their ability to pay the rent and help, you know, landlords going forward to be able to pay their mortgage payments. So hopefully it's, it seems like a good thing. It just takes a little bit of time to see how it, it that meets out. Yeah. And some landlords can, can afford to uh, give a break to tenants. And, you know, some smaller landlords might not be able to. I guess it's fair if you're doing an amendment, tell me what you think, uh, a lease amendment for, for a lease concession of some type that if the, the tenant does get some funds from the government uh, that's supposed to help them pay the rent, that, you know, that some of that are, would go to the landlord. Yeah, I think that's uh, kind of a sharing of the benefit there the landlord can include in an amendment. You know, we're seeing different types of requests already in terms of rent abatement where the tenant is just not obligated to pay rent. Uh, contrast that with a, a, a deferral where the rent is deferred for a certain period of time. You know, I think in either case, the landlord's got a pretty good argument that if if the government steps in and, and cuts a check to these tenants that they can use for the payment of rent, then the landlord should you know, be the beneficiary of that. They have a contract with the tenants and most leases, as you know, you know, having language in there about, you know, cases like this, force majeure uh, and what happens. But but most leases also say that, you know, come hell or high water, the tenant's obligated to pay rent no matter what. So I think the 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 landlords at this point are are gonna have to wait and see what con- what the stimulus package does and and if it indeed offers money to to some of these tenants that they're going to want to incorporate some language into the leases. And rightly so, I think, that if the tenant gets some money uh, that and its rent is due, that that money is, at least in some form, sent to the landlord. So have you not yet seen a, a lease that had a provision that uh, just gave a tenant a car blanche way to just not pay? No, there, there are certainly leases like that. Leases run the gamut. And I think a uh, a more tenant favorable lease drafted, you know, by a savvy tenant would say, hey, if we have to shut our doors for any reason, we don't have to pay rent, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are probably more rare, I think, from the landlord side. You know, we want to make sure the lease has protections for situations like this where, you know, there there's a potential for some rent abatement, but not the ability for the tenant to, you know, stop paying altogether. But there are there are leases out there where you know, and we're advising our, our tenant clients to take a careful look at them to see what their rights are. And there may be there may be language in there that says, hey, we'll pay rent, but if we're forced to shut down for any reason, and this is a situation where some tenants are being forced to shut down, that we're, we don't have to pay rent. So it's a good opportunity, I think, for, for tenants to analyze their lease terms and, and see if there is some language in there that might be beneficial to them. Yeah. And Dan, you guys represent landlords and tenants, um, lenders, developers. Um, you know, there's some um, regulations I've seen that uh, are favorable for some of these lenders, some of these banks to be able to work with their borrowers, uh, some of these landlords, and give them some concessions and breaks and not put these banks in jeopardy uh, with the regulators. Have you seen yet any kind of conversations between landlords and lenders about breaks on on some payments 
uh, during this time? Yeah, I think we're just starting to see that. I think in the last week or so, I've seen some traction on talks between lenders and landlords or lenders and borrowers with regard to loan forbearance. So analogous, I think, to what landlords and tenants are doing, I think the lenders are looking at this as a situation where, hey, we may be able to work with our borrowers and forbear, meaning, you know, accept uh, the uh, loan payments at a later date, but give them a break in April and May. Um, so I think loan workouts, just like lease amendments, are going to start uh, getting more traction here as lenders realize that, you know, their income stream may be affected and, and they, you know, don't want to necessarily bankrupt uh, or foreclose on these loans. And they, they'd rather work with their borrowers and, and come up with a plan where, um, you know, the the loan is eventually repaid, but maybe there's a period of time where they're they're giving their borrowers a break. Yeah, I mean, that's a great idea. And I like that the regulators have kind of come out already and said that, hey, you know, we're not going to place those loans uh, in an unpaid uh, loan pool and, and have you have to put up more reserves for that. So, you know, we can all work together and get through this. And I think for maybe for some property types, I mean, we're, you know, again, we're, we're at March 25th here as we, as we record this today and put out this show and things are kind of uh, evolving. But, uh, you know, I think some property types will, will recover more quickly, you know, with these single tenant net lease, a lot of those properties are doing very well. Sure. You know, certain office buildings, medical office buildings seem to be doing very well. Uh, but you got some sectors like hospitality and, and retail that are going to get hit more. So is there any advice that you would give to to a landlord if they're, say, dealing with a lender, pick that one, or, or if they're dealing with a tenant and they're doing an agreement on the lease? Any mistakes you'd say to kind of watch out to avoid? Well, from the landlord side, I think, you know, in terms of agreements with the tenants in terms of, you know, documenting something. You know, one of the things that landlords are considering now, I think, including is some sort of confidentiality provision in those agreements. Uh, Meaning the the landlord's fine working on an individual basis with a lot of its tenants. But, you know, some landlords, rightly so, are concerned that, you know, once word gets out that they're, they're working with tenant A, and tenant A is going to talk to tenant B, and tenant B is going to come call on whether whether they really need the help or not. So I think a confidentiality provision in uh, a lease amendment is critical. Another thing that we're seeing, at least on the on the retail side, is a lot of leases have co-tenancy provisions where you know certain tenants are required to be open in a shopping center, or uh, the tenant in question doesn't have to pay rent. So I think landlords. Uh, with kind of this domino effect of closures, they're not going to want a tenant to be able to claim a, a co-tenancy default uh, under the lease. So they may want some protection that, you know, during this period, during the next, say, three to six months or so, that the tenant weighs any co-tenancy uh, remedies that it has under its lease. So there are, there are a couple of things I think that landlords need to be concerned about. But the backdrop hopefully is is the desire to work with their with their tenants and, and keep them open and you know to come to some agreement that kind of gets us through the next hopefully three to six months. But again, it's it's hard to say how long this is going to last. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, good time to kind of look at your lease on both the landlord and tenant side and see if there's some things in there that maybe you cleaned up. If, if the tenant's getting a break, you know maybe that tenant is viable enough that they'll agree to extend their lease term. 
um, give the landlord some value there with a longer lease to get some incentives. So it's a good point. If we, with every kind of works together, uh, understands everyone's sides here. We uh, kind of we get through it. Let's think in terms of of a tenant, Dan, uh, that is approaching their landlord. Um, they're looking at a potential lease amendment to get a break. Uh, any uh, gotchas, any mistakes a tenant should uh, look out for? Well, I think the the approach uh, of the tenant, whether it be asking for rent abatement versus rent uh, deferral, I think is kind of the key issue. Are they looking to not have to pay this rent at all? Or are they looking to a situation where they're not going to pay it for two or three months and then, you know, have that amortized back into the rent for the remainder of the term? So I think just looking at, at how the, the rent is going to be treated is, is critical for the tenant. They may, you know, be able to agree now to three months worth of deferral, but that deferral is going to come due down the road. So um, you know, they may be just kind of kicking the can a little bit. So for a mom and pop to say, hey, we're, we'll uh, agree that rent's deferred for three months, but at the end of those three months, we're obligated to pay it all back. Well, they may not be able to do that. Contrast to rent abatement, which, you know, obviously landlords are less inclined to give, but a rent abatement where they're just saying, hey, for the next two or three months, we won't charge you rent. Uh, and it's never going to be uh, an obligation for you to pay that. That's a little different situation. But I think that from the tenant side, just is understanding the deal that's being put in front of them and understanding, hey, is this a situation where we're going to be able to cover this rent deferral on the back end? Do we have enough time to do that? Maybe encouraging the landlord to, to spread it out over the remainder of the term if there are a couple of years left on the term. And I think, as you brought up, a good point is, uh, an extension of the term for the amount of the period that rent is abated or deferred. I think that's fair, kind of giving the landlord extra term on the back end. So at the end of the day, they're they're really made whole. And, um, you know, when we come out of the other side of this pandemic that, you know, everyone is, is kind of in the same situation they would have been in to the extent possible. Right. And we're talking with Dan Villapondo. He's an attorney out of uh, Los Angeles that in the real estate world has been doing it for 25 years. And we're talking about some of the things going on here in this coronavirus time. It's uh, March uh, 25th. And, and Dan, um, what tips or mistakes should uh, lenders and borrowers think about or avoid related to that contact of, of between those two to maybe for some um, concessions? I think it's kind of the, the similar concepts in, in the lease amendment in terms of uh, repayment options. If the loan forbearance is agreed to, you know, how much time is the uh, borrower going to have to pay that back? Are they going to be able to pay that back? Is it spread out over a longer period of time? And then from the, the lender's perspective, likewise, you know, making sure that they're able to, to collect that rent excuse me, collect the, the mortgage payments uh, regardless of what happens. So maybe some, some language that if the, the tenant, you know, or the, excuse me, the mortgagee is, is not making the loan payments for a period of three months and is supposed to make it down the road and doesn't, and the lender ends up foreclosing that they're still able to, to recapture that unpaid rent, that's unpaid loan amount. So I think analogous situations, just kind of being careful understanding that we're working together at this point, but that, you know, any amounts that are agreed 
to be either uh, a loan forbearance or a rent deferral, eventually those are going to have to be paid back and making sure that, you know, the parties are able to do that down the road. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then, of course, some of the sectors are hit worse, like the hotel sector. And, um, you know, those may just, there may be some foreclosures there and, um, and short sales and things. And um, it sounds like you've done on a, a good bit of forbearance work with working out things and workouts with uh, lenders and borrowers in the past. What have you seen regarding lenders' fear of, of lender liability related to you know, working out a loan? Are they typically asking the borrower to sign off to completely waive uh, lender, uh, lender liability issues to go ahead and discuss some type of forbearance? You know, again, that's kind of, we're seeing that the initial stages of it kind of trailing a little bit behind the landlord-tenant dialogue. Um, So I'm not as versed in that in terms of answering that question from from the lenders and borrowers' perspective, Michael, but, you know, I'm I'm happy to to take a look at that with some of my colleagues and get back to you, but that's a little bit out of my bailiwick. Sure. And let's talk about transactions. You guys do a lot of transactions. I imagine um, that you've seen uh, some pause there. Yeah, I think the, again, day-to-day things are changing. And last week, there were deals that were hot and heavy and, and needed to be signed. And, you know, both parties were clamoring for it. And I think things have slowed down a little bit. You know, from the uh, lease side, le- uh, tenants are getting a little more cautious, and rightly so, before they put their, their pen to paper and sign these leases. Um, looking for a little more time to to evaluate the landscape out there, and then in the purchase and sale world, you know deals have have, have cratered, for just for the fact that there's so much uncertainty out there. So buyers are either hitting the pause button or getting out of deals completely and, and saying, hey, we we just can't afford to to put up this money at this point and and take the risk. Depending on the the property, of course, but if it's a you know, uh, a value add center or, or even land that they're buying on a spec basis. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's so much uncertainty out there that, that buyers are saying, Hey, we'll, we'll come back to you at a later date, but right now we, we need to press the pause button and, and revisit this down the road. So I think the, the volume of, of work is, is slowing down a little bit, but I think, you know, as we saw in the great recession in 2008, it, it ends up, resurfacing and, and other forms of work. So in this case, you know, we'll see a, a, a influx of requests for loan workouts and lease modifications and lease amendments. Um, but for the time being, new deals definitely seem to be slowing down. Yeah, I think as service providers, uh, us being brokers, you guys being lawyers, I think after this pause, we're going to all be very busy helping our clients uh, regarding leases. You know, I'm signing a lease uh, today that we just finalized and we included a, a clause in there. If for some reason, the governmental regulations will not let them open and the commencement dates pushed back and everybody was fine with sure. that. You know, on the acquisition side, we're seeing deals still closed that are properties that weren't, aren't much affected. Um, by this. And then we're seeing some um, buyers taking advantage of what would I call it? I guess sellers that are motivated right now and mm-hmm. some buyers taking advantage of that, uh, especially in the single tenant and at least world and the multifamily world. I think there's a lot of investors that feel like multifamily is going to be okay. You can adjust those 
operations fairly quickly. Um, and we're seeing some competition for a deal that we're working on now at uh, 235 units. So it's kind of an interesting time. Well, Dan, as we wrap up the show today, what would you leave our audience with to kind of think about at the moment and moving forward? Well, I think it's kind of good to point out that, and we've, we've talked about this a little bit, that the parties are, are in this together. I think it's it's not a situation where, you know, it's landlord versus tenant or lender versus borrower, but more a situation where hopefully, you know, folks are working together um, because I think we're going to get through this. We're a strong country and a strong economy up to this point. And, you know, we've people are impacted this on so many levels, but in the real estate market and real estate business, I think it's, it's important to not lose sight of the fact that, you know, these the landlords and tenants were in partnership. not technically, but theoretically when when they sign an agreement and and they need to continue to look at that way and and kind of work through this. And hopefully we all come out at the end of the day better off and and stronger than we were before. Yeah, well said and and even stronger uh, relationships uh, uh, between us all. So uh, yeah, uh, well said, great information. Dan, thank you for joining us, sir. We appreciate you being on the show. Anytime, Michael. Thanks for having me. All right. And thank you for listening all around the country, around the world. We appreciate your comments. We appreciate you sharing the show. Hey, and we'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on your favorite social media and hang in there. We will get through this and we will have a good market again. Uh, if if uh, you have any questions or comments, please share them. And thank you for joining us until next week. Be sure that you always lead, learn and laugh and join us for America's commercial real estate show. Have you seen the DNA of CRE? Well, it's a survey you can take about how commercial agents work day to day, their technology, their challenges, the systems, and a lot more about how commercial agents and their marketing people work. And you get access to the results. So take the survey, check out the results. You can find it at the show website, which is CREshow.com, and then look for the DNA of CRE. Appreciate the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.